Hey, y'all can grab a seat. Good morning, fellowship. Hey, are y'all awake out there? It's a beautiful day. Good morning. Hey, glad y'all are here to worship with us. My name's Michael. I serve on the community team. I especially want to welcome those of you who are new. Maybe it's your first time to join us. If you want to hit that QR code, it'll take you to a little form to fill out. We'd love to know a little more about you, get in touch with you. You can also drop by the community booth. We'd love to meet you and and help you know how you can get plugged in here at Fellowship. And speaking of that, we have an opportunity coming up in just a couple of weeks as we launch this summer's session of Discover Fellowship. Discover Fellowship is a great way to learn a little bit more about what the Lord's doing here at Fellowship and why we do some of the things we do. It's a great way to meet some people. So if you've never done Discover, even if you've been here for a while, if it works for you this summer, I would invite you to join us. That QR code will take you to more info again at the community booth. They can fill in any gaps or answer any questions you might have about it. Well, something that's for all of us is one week from today, the community picnics. We're having four picnics. Three of them are scattered around Fayetteville. One of them's in Farmington. And we're really excited about just a chance to get people together. We'll have games and things for the kids. We're going to have burgers. All you have to do is show up. And so all the information's online. We'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to bring your community group, bring your unchurched friends and neighbors. And we would ask that you hit the website and just register to let us know you're coming. We just need to know how many hot dogs and hamburgers to cook. So we're looking forward to that next Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m. Well, we've had some changes here at Fellowship. I want to bring you in on. Josh, you can come on up. A lot of you know Tad Moore. Uh, Tad was our FSM team leader from the day we launched Fellowship Fable, and he did an incredible job with our student ministry. And Tad's had an opportunity to move into something new, something he's been passionate about for a long time. And so we're blessing him as he makes that transition. We're excited for him. But I want to introduce to you today our new FSM team leader. This is Josh Pankey. Josh, so glad you're here. Hey. Oh, I, didn't, wow. I didn't know you brought your whole extended family with you today. Yeah, I'm from East Arkansas. It's all cousins out here. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, hey, Josh, tell us what you're excited about in Fayetteville's FSM. Well, um, I'm really excited to be here. My wife and I were a part of Fellowship Fayetteville for a few years before we moved up to Rogers and worked with Celebrate Recovery there. I'm really excited um, just to see what God's doing in students. Uh, this week, we have our celebration. So we're celebrating all the things that God's done in cell groups over the year, and that's honestly really fun, but also the stories the students share is really, really exciting. This summer, we have lots of discipleship opportunities. Uh, we'll be having our Antioch, which is a discipleship program where we're going to be teaching students leadership skills and giving them opportunities. We're literally diving into the Sermon on the Mount with them. So just getting in God's Word, but also giving them the opportunity to teach that to other students. And then we have Timberline, our camp. And so we have a lot of really cool opportunities coming. But every Sunday, we're next door and we're worshiping and we're um, seeing cell groups and we're seeing uh, students invested in. Um, there's just a lot of really cool stuff happening as students that are eagerly following Jesus right next door. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I can tell you as a parent, FSM made a huge difference in my kids' lives. I'm a huge fan of that ministry. So if you've got 7th through 12th graders, right? Yes. Yeah. If you've got 7th through 12th graders or you know some 7th through 12th graders, this is a great place for them to meet people who are following the Lord and to follow him more closely. And so, hey, let's make Josh feel welcome. Josh. Hey, uh, if you see some seats to your left, you might scoot just a little bit over. That would help. We've got some people still making their way in. I'll clear up some seats for us. Hey, um, this morning, it's a little different. Uh, we, we're going a little country bluegrass. If you're, if you're new to fellowship and you're visiting, it doesn't always sound like this. Yeah. 
But, uh, but man, we, we do this a couple times a year uh, and, and we do it for purpose. So we, we obviously have a lot of fun doing it as, um, as musicians and hopefully as worshipers, you, you enjoy it. But, but the purpose behind it is um, that a lot of us grew up singing these hymns and maybe even in this style of music. And, and our hope is that you're reminded of God's faithfulness in your life over the years. Over the past few months, uh, myself and some more on this stage have gotten the opportunity to go just down the street um, to Avenir Memory Care. It's a memory care facility. It's a nursing home. Um, and we've gotten to play some of these songs. So we've been trying to do that a couple of times a month. And we sing a lot of these songs there. And there's so much power in singing these songs. These, these people that are suffering with dementia and different memory um, issues, we see their eyes light up and, and they remember these songs and they start singing these songs and it's, it's really cool. And, and we've heard stories of, uh, from them over how God's been faithful in their lives. And so I hope that's the same for all of you this morning. So and I understand not everybody in the room is gonna be familiar with these songs, uh, but listen to the, to the lyrics and sing along if you can catch on because uh, they're powerful. And so church, let's be reminded of God's faithfulness in our lives this morning. Let's stand together. Let's continue to sing. I'm gonna sing this old song, Sanctuary. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanks I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Let's sing it again, church. Lord, prepare. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy,
single one of us in this room were in need of a savior. So church, let's confess that this morning. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. Just as I am without one plea, my blood was shed for me, and that Thou bidst me come to
that just as we come sinners in need of a savior we put our trust and our hope in Christ and in Christ alone we have an assurance of pardon from that sin that we can find in him so church believe the good news Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin in him we have a savior to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Come on. Well, good morning. Um, what, a, what an awesome celebration today. My name is David. I'm part of the community team here at Fellowship. And this is Colton. Colton's a sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> Colton's a sophomore at uh, JBU, and um, me and Colton got lunch a couple weeks ago, and, and just hearing his story and hearing the impact that uh, the JBU community and, and Noah's had on his life is incredible. We, we walked through the gospel, and we walked through how what we just said, that we are separated from God because of our sin, and that we're in need of a Savior in Jesus, and Colton understood that for his life, and even hearing his stories, he talked about um, some of the things that have played into his role with walking with Jesus. And uh, man, you have changed his life. And I mean that. And all of you from JB, you have changed his life and the way you've come around him and loved him. And so um, I'm going to let Noah share a little bit about his relationship with you before we baptize you. Yeah, I'm Noah. Um, I got to know Colton through this past semester at JBU. And I got to sit down at the cafeteria and learn his story and become friends and um, Colton, like a lot of people, fights with anxiety and depression and loneliness. Um, but at JBU, a group of friends started to really rally around him and embrace him. Um, and at a little worship night, uh, he expressed to us that he wants to fully place his trust in Jesus and become part of the family of God. And um, once he made that decision, you could see a tangible weight lifted off of him and like a joy that filled his heart. And that hope has continued to this day um, and it's impacted him. And so Colton wanted me to share this quote with the church before he gets baptized. Uh, he said, if you're here at fellowship this morning and struggling with depression, anxiety, loneliness, or even have had thoughts or plans to take your own life, I ask that you lift it up to Jesus. You are not alone and seeking help is the bravest choice you can make. And as your brother in Christ, I want you here. So Colton, I love you. So proud to be your brother in Christ, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this, man. Colton, is it your testimony that Jesus is Lord of your life and you wish to walk with him for the rest of your life? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, it's my privilege and honor to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Praise God. If you're standing, let's remain standing. Church, let's stand together uh, for the reading of God's word. Man, that's good. 
Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Man, what a morning we've had already. The truths of these songs and this baptism. We don't take these baptisms that we're having every week around here for granted. The Lord is at work. And it is so exciting just to see what he's doing in and through you, Fellowship Fayetteville and our partner ministries and the other churches around. God is at work. Well, we're continuing in the Risen series, and we've been having some incredible conversations out of these passages. I hope you have too. The conversations in my community group have been really good. The the conversations in our Thursday morning Bible study where we study these passages have been incredible. And of course, the conversations around the office as we've been processing these. And, And some of you may have already listened to this week's Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes is our podcast we do every week where we try to bring you in on those conversations and the things we're talking about with these passages. And if you've already listened to this week, you heard Garland refer to our conversation as nerdy. And I thought about that afterwards, and I I reflected on it, and I came to a realization that I am and always have been a nerd. It It was like a weight was lifted. I started to think, being a community pastor is kind of nerdy. Before that, I was a pharmacist. Sorry to any pharmacist out there, but I don't think on the cool job rankings, anyone slots pharmacist right between fighter pilot and stuntman. It's just kind of a nerdy job. And before I was a pharmacist, I was a band kid. (laughs) And I'm proud to be a band kid. Some of the most fun times I had in my life were in the U of A band, and especially the Hogwild band. I actually am in that picture. You'll have to take my word for it. I'm on the top row in the trombones. I was a band kid. I married a band kid. I'm the father of a band kid who married a band kid. I'll always be a band kid. I'm telling you all that so I can tell you this story. Here we go. It's 1992. The Arkansas Razorbacks are the three seed in the Midwest region of the NCAA basketball tournament. We were number six in the nation, should have been a two seed, but I digress. We're playing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're set to take on the Murray State Racers in the first round, and I'm there because I'm in the Hogwild Band. Life is good. My friends and I are on mission, and that mission is called Hogball. We want to see Nolan Richardson's Razorbacks go as far as they can in that tournament. So game day rolls around, and it is snowing like crazy in Milwaukee. We ride that bus to the Bradley Center. We get off on that snowy sidewalk. We've got on our Hogwild uniforms. We've got our horns in our hands. We're ready to get in there, but there's a problem. They won't let us in the building. This really happened. There's an usher who is demanding our tickets. Our band director's losing his mind. He's like, we don't have tickets. We don't need tickets. We're the U of A pep band. This usher is not going to let us in. So now we're outside, cold, getting pretty frustrated. 
getting worried that we're not going to get into the basketball game that we've gone all the way to Milwaukee for. And then another group arrives who's coming in that same gate. And in that group is a man named Frank Broyles. Now, for those of you who don't know, Coach Broyles was the legendary athletic director at the U of A. He put our football program on the map as our football coach. He elevated all of our sports as our AD, and he was a legend in the college sports world. He was the man. And with a few well-placed words, that gate was open, and we were going in and running to our seats for that basketball game. See, Coach Broyles had the authority, and all we needed was his presence to get in to do the mission that we had come to do. And I tell you that story because today we're going to see that Jesus has the authority and it's his presence that allows us to live a life of purpose. It's gonna fuel a life of purpose. And so turn with me if you would. You heard Ryan read it, Matthew chapter 28. We're just gonna look at the last few verses of the book of Matthew. As you're turning there, I just wanna kind of remind you where we've been in this Risen series. The first week, we saw Jesus opening the minds of some believers to explain to them that the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, prepared us to see that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. The resurrection of Jesus caught his followers off guard, but the reality was it had been foretold for centuries. The resurrection demonstrated that Jesus really was Israel's Messiah and the world's true king. And then last week, Steve Graves was here, and Steve told us why the resurrection matters, because it's the, nothing is more central to the Christian faith than the resurrection of Jesus, and I couldn't agree with him more. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our passage this morning. So you heard Ryan read it just now. For many of you, it's a very familiar passage. I know a lot of you have heard it preached and taught. I almost said preached and teached. That wouldn't have surprised you, would it? I just told you. I went to the U of A. You've heard it preached and taught many times. And so this morning, I want to borrow an idea from Garland. I actually borrowed a slide from Garland. If you were here on Palm Sunday, Garland said, let's take a familiar passage and turn the diamond. That's what I want to do this morning. I want us to just turn the diamond a little bit to look at maybe some facets of this Great Commission passage that we don't always give a lot of time to, starting with the place. Look at verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And you see on my handy Bible map here, we've circled Jerusalem and Galilee. Galilee is a region north of Jerusalem. It's about 90 miles, give or take, depending on what part of Galilee you're going to. So it's a good ways, especially if you're walking. And so we might ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus tell them to go to Galilee from Jerusalem, where last week's passage was set, only to send them back to Jerusalem for next week's passage? And anytime we ask why, we're inserting a little bit of conjecture, right? Whenever we ask why about the Bible, we're speculating a little bit, but, but I have some thoughts on it. Why Galilee? Well, first of all, Galilee was home. It was home base for almost all of Jesus' earthly ministry, but it was also home for most of the disciples. In John 21, we see 
the risen Christ appear to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. That's the story where he restores Peter after Peter had denied him three times. Jesus restores him three times to ministry. That happened in Galilee. And another thing to note is that this happens on a mountain. And that might have been part of the reason that Jesus took them there. See, Galilee is sometimes called Galilee of the Gentiles because there were Gentile settlements, non-Jewish settlements in that area. Maybe Jesus took them up on this mountain so that as he told them, take the gospel to all nations, they would be looking out at those very nations. They would be looking beyond the community of Israel into the Gentile areas. And while we're talking about mountains, I don't want us to miss the fact Mountains are very significant throughout all of Matthew's gospel. After he's baptized, Satan takes Jesus up onto a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. The very next chapter, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives his most famous sermon. We know it by its location. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It was given on a mountain, by the way, a mountain in Galilee. In Matthew 14, before he walks on water, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. In Matthew 17, Jesus appears in his glory, talking with Moses and Elijah. We call it the transfiguration. It happens, you guessed it, on a mountain. And so now here at the very end of the book is the risen Jesus back in the part of the world where all of this began. And he's gathered his guys on a mountain. And now let's look at their response in verse 17. When they saw him, They worshiped, but some doubted. It's an odd mixture, isn't it? Worship, but doubt. And it might seem odd to us. These 11 guys have seen the risen Jesus at least three times at this point, maybe more. How could they still be doubting the resurrection? Well, there's a few ideas out there about what this means. One is that their doubt isn't actually about the resurrection. That Greek word translated doubt, it's distazo, and it means to hesitate, to be of two minds about something, to waver. Could they have been wavering, not about the reality of the resurrection, but about what would come next? Were they hesitating as they considered what proclaiming a crucified and risen Messiah was going to mean for them? Or maybe it was this. Maybe it wasn't the disciples who were doubting. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that there was one instance where 500 people saw the risen Christ. Maybe this was that time. Maybe the disciples were there worshiping, but others had doubts. I don't know. But either way, I want to make a couple of quick observations from the passage about doubt. Number one. We all need some healthy skepticism. We all need to have some doubts sometimes. When someone tells us something, especially if someone tells us something about God or about the Bible, we should always ask, is that right? Is that true? And here at Fellowship, our standard of truth is God's word. So whenever someone tells me something, I'm always asking, does that line up with what the Bible says? That's a healthy form of hesitation or doubt. 
And here's my second observation from our passage about doubt. Jesus doesn't let doubts hinder his ministry. So when we have our own doubts, when we have our own hesitations, we shouldn't let that scare us. We should lean into the Lord with those doubts. Lean into his word. Lean into Christian community. Be honest with each other and with the Lord about those doubts. And we shouldn't be deterred by our critics. We shouldn't be deterred by people on the outside who are saying to us, what you're saying is out of date. What you're saying is no longer relevant. People who call us foolish for following Jesus, we don't let them stop us. We just press on, which is exactly what Jesus does here. He simply goes on to give them the great commission to take the gospel to the world. And so here's where we're going to turn the diamond a little bit. We're going to look at the great commission maybe in a little different way because we're going to start off looking at Jesus' authority, his power. And then we're going to look at the promise of his presence And then we're going to come back and look at what we normally camp out on, the command or what we might call the commission. So beginning with his authority, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in the context of our risen series, I want us to stop and think for a minute. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying here? I'll admit that normally we rush by that because we want to get to the good stuff about making disciples. But what does it mean that Jesus, the risen Christ, has all authority? Now, one of the things that I I feel like we kind of miss whenever we pull a passage out and study it like we are this morning, we miss what the gospel writer has been doing throughout the book. And if we read all of Matthew, we see that inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew has been brilliantly addressing this idea of Jesus' authority through the whole story. If we go back to Matthew chapter 7, we see that Jesus teaches with authority. It says the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. This comes after the Sermon on the Mount. His hearers recognized his teaching is different He's not telling us what someone else said. He's teaching with authority. You might remember in the Sermon on the Mount, over and over, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is boldly giving them a whole new way to live. Pretty radical, but not as radical as what he does in Matthew 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells a paralyzed man his sins are forgiven. And the scribes think to themselves... Notice I said think, not say. They think, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins, which of course is true. It would be blasphemy unless Jesus is actually God and actually can forgive sins. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man, his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus says, oh, you doubt my authority to forgive sins? I'll show it to you by demonstrating my authority 
over disease. And the people immediately recognized this can only come from God. They glorified God because he's given this kind of authority to a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But in Matthew, Jesus doesn't just teach with authority and he doesn't just exercise authority. He actually gives away authority. In Matthew chapter 10, he's going to send out the disciples and it says he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus has authority over demons. He has authority over disease and he delegates it to the disciples. Man, that's real power. That's real authority when you can give it to someone else. We could go on and on. He has authority over weather as he calms the storm. He has authority over the laws of physics as he walks on water. He has authority over death itself as he raises people from the dead. And you know what all this points to, don't you? My favorite, Daniel 7. Remember from our Esther Daniel series, Daniel has a vision in the night. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see some things in there that you just heard this morning? All people, always. There's a straight line from Daniel 7 to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus is the Son of Man, given authority. Matthew 28 says all authority. In the Greek version of the Old Testament that they used at Jesus' time, that word authority in the Greek is the exact same word in Matthew 28. Jesus is saying in Matthew 28 that what was predicted in Daniel 7 has happened. He's saying that Jesus was given all power and authority. Jesus is now the one through whom God's power and authority is mediated. The Son of Man suffered and died, but in his resurrection, he's been given the place of supreme power and authority, just as it had been prophesied. But that's not all. See, along with his authority, his power, there's a promise of his presence. So we're going to jump past the commands for just a minute. Don't worry. We're going to come back to them. But look at verse 20. Look at the promise. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Behold, it means look. In Arkansas, we would say, looky here. Don't miss this. Maybe your translation says, surely, surely I'm with you. Again, this is a major theme of Matthew's gospel from page one. In Matthew chapter one, we have a visit from an angel who says, this child that's going to be born, Jesus, will be Emmanuel which means God with us. I love what Steve said last week. Steve said, when things get hard, we get in our huddle. And in the resurrection, Jesus is saying, when you huddle up, I'm in the huddle with you. Jesus says, don't miss this. Look, I'm with you always. 
Now, our English translators have gone with the word always in just about every translation, and I like it. It's a good translation. But the truth is, they're translating three Greek words into one English word. And in the Greek, it's an idiom. It's a saying. And the saying is, the whole of every day. I like that. Because I think we have a saying that's similar. All day, every day. If you've placed your faith in Jesus... He's with you all day, every day. There's never a time that he's taken a personal day. There's never a time that you reach out to him and you get an automated out-of-office reply. He's with you all day, every day, till the end. And it's not just the horizon that we have in view. You hear us all the time say, well, this is now, but not yet. This promise is now, And always, until history as we know it comes to an end and Jesus is standing on planet Earth setting up his kingdom, he is with us. I can't overstate the significance of Matthew bracketing his gospel with this, opening with Emmanuel, God with us, and closing the last line of the whole book, I'm with you to the end, always. So what it means for us is when we're on top of the world, he's with us. And when we're at the bottom, just barely hanging on, he's with us. When we're walking in obedience and our fellowship with the Lord is sweet, he's with us. But when we stumble and do, as the Apostle Paul said, the very thing I don't want to do, he's with us. And when we put these two ideas together, here's what we see. Jesus was given all power and authority and promises his presence forever. This is life-changing. See, the Great Commission, it's not just our marching orders. Now, it is our mission, and I'm all in on that. But it's more than that. It's actually the very power of God to do the thing that he's created us to do. And so let's look at the command. The command is go, therefore, and make disciples. That therefore, it tells me that because Jesus has all authority, because he is sovereign and in control, we're empowered. In fellowship's language, we're released. In John's language, we're sent on a universal mission to make disciples. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself. So let me just put it in a tight nutshell. To make a disciple is to bring someone into such a close relationship with the teacher that they can emulate their life. Here's what we say at Fellowship Fayetteville. A disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus as king committed to a Jesus-shaped life. What Jesus is telling them and us is, here's your job. Make more of what you already are. A follower of King Jesus who's committed to living a Jesus-shaped life. And notice the scope of the command, all nations. In Greek, it's te ethne. There's been tons and tons written about what that means, but we can all agree on this. It means everybody. There's no language. There's no tribe. There's no race. There's no people group. There's no nation that is beyond the reach of the gospel or beyond the scope 
of our instructions to carry the gospel to them. So how do we do that? Well, he gives us two really big ideas here. Baptize them and teach them to obey. Baptizing people means bringing them into the covenant community of faith. You saw it with Colton as he was symbolically buried with Christ. His old life left behind, dead, raised, resurrection power to a new life. Bringing him into this covenant community of faith. Bringing him into community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Baptisms are a result of evangelism, sharing Christ. And so salvation and baptism, those are one-time events. Life-altering, eternity-altering events when people accept the free gift of salvation offered to them by Jesus Christ. But we're not done there. Because Jesus says, follow that up by teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us. And so by definition, that's a lifelong process. None of us ever have complete knowledge. And certainly none of us ever have perfect obedience. So we all continue learning and growing for the rest of our lives. And so let me close with this question. What are you looking for? out of life. I'm going to guess that when I ask that question, the very first thing that comes into your mind probably has to do with your education, if you're on this side of the room, with your job, with a relationship, maybe with your bank account, your reputation. But at the root of all of those desires, many of which are good and God-given. The root is that we all desire a life of purpose. We all want to live a life for something bigger than ourselves, for something that matters. We all want to know that what we're doing with our lives is significant and what this glorious, magnificent ending of Matthew is telling us is that the power and presence of Jesus fuels a life of purpose. If we can get our hearts and minds around this idea, there's no limit to what God can do in our lives because some of us are looking in the wrong places for power when the ultimate power in the created universe is available to us in Jesus Christ. And some of us are looking in the wrong places for relationships when Jesus has actually promised us his presence, a relationship with him that lasts forever, and the mission that he's given us. Think about it. All people, all that he's commanded for all times, there's nothing bigger than that. It's the ultimate purpose, and it's fueled by Christ himself because all of this is possible only through Jesus. Just like in 1992, there's no way we were getting into that game without the person who had the authority. We needed his presence. And now we all need the person who has the authority to bring his presence, to open up the door into a life of purpose. And that's why the resurrection matters to you and to me in 2023. All authority has been given to the risen Christ. And now he's promised to always be with us. And so if you're here this morning 
and you've never made that commitment. You've never accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus offered you. You can have it today. Nothing else needs to happen. He's already done it all. He came to earth for you. He went to the cross for you. He defeated death for you. Now he's resurrected to ultimate power and he wants to give himself to you. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and in your mind and tell him that you want to accept the free gift and you can begin living a life of purpose. And those of us here who are already followers of Jesus, let's be clear about this. Our goal is not to be comfortable. Our goal is to live lives of purpose, to believe in the resurrected Jesus so fully, so authentically, so passionately that it changes our lives. It fuels our purpose all day, every day until the end. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that even in this moment, you might reveal yourself to somebody in such a powerful way that their eternity would be changed. And Lord, I pray that all of us would in faith live on purpose for you, our King, who has all authority. Thank you for the promise of your presence. And so, Lord, we pray now, fuel not just our worship, but our very lives.
Oh, I tell you what, Ryan, my Central Arkansas accent was coming out even worse than usual singing that song. I could just hear it. Hey, that's the Risen series in a nutshell. Because he's alive, everything else matters. Everything else is different. Hey, if you prayed a prayer today or if you feel the Lord doing something in you and you want to talk to somebody, anybody on this stage would love to talk to you. Clark's back in the prayer room. He would love to talk with you. Or if you would just like to pray with somebody, take communion, that's available in the prayer room as well. So Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. Go in the power and presence of the risen Savior. Would you be free from your burden?